and welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Grant and I'm Partnerships Manager here at Digital Construction Skills. And today I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Chris Matthew and Paul Tuhey from Flannery Plant. And on the podcast today, we'll be discussing all things machine control and telematics and what it can do to help you improve your business. So Chris and Paul, you're very welcome to the podcast. Afternoon, Chris. Thanks for having us. Good to have you here. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Right, so... So I know it's a big year for Flannery this year. So do you want to just maybe tell us a little bit of background to to who Flannery Plant are and then what what you guys do within the business? Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll kick off. Um, So, yeah, you mentioned big year. So uh, we celebrate our 50th anniversary. Um, So from uh, our original roots down in West London with Paddy Flannery, we've we've grown up over the last 50 years. We've uh, we've become mature and learned, apparently, Chris. Trading for a good little while now, and and particularly in the last uh, five to 10 years, we've experienced some quite significant growth in our core markets. We still specialize in operated plant. Um, we've become the largest in what we do across the across the sector. Um, still specializing in looking after our key infrastructure customers. So primarily that's your roads, your railways, airports, although to a lesser extent for obvious reasons recently, and then sort of your MOD contracts. But again, the topic of the podcast is right up our street today with um, whether it be machine control and telematics, because this is this is the future of our business. You know, the, the days of just growing on rents, I think, are behind us. You know, our focus now is to make sure that we're being leaner, more effective, more efficient, and also that we're reinforcing those with behaviours. Um, so we're we're understanding the data a little bit more, so that we're helping to train both our current and next generation of operator, so that we're fit for the next fifty years. Brilliant. So, Paul, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself then? And then maybe just tell us a little bit there about machine control and what it does and what it's used for. Yeah, definitely. So I come into the industry at age 18, 19. I started off as, as an apprentice engineer, specialised in survey equipment. So I've done that for five years. Um, so I, I got, I suppose, hands-on with using laser levels, total stations, um, dumpy levels, all the sort of... Uh, core items from a surveying perspective um, and then eventually um, part of the the M6 uh, toll that was uh, built in Birmingham there was a company there um, that I joined which is called uh, Precise Construction Instruments and they had in um, 2003 this had been a small machine control business very small but they were the dealership for Trimble which is I suppose the face of Trimble in, in, in the UK one machine control engineer I believe at the time and I, it, it just grew and grew and grew and it's just something that's never that's never really left me and you know it's from the age of about 23 onwards then I've always been involved in machine control whether it's you know I suppose it's sales support service or, or the operational management of it so my history really I suppose growing up has been with the guidance solutions and you know today you know it just becomes something that, that was always a dream you know the, for the days of trying to sell uh, the technologies into customers and getting them you know small smaller contractors to use the kit to see it happening today is quite uh, unbelievable to, and it's a significant change really the way things have moved and shifted in I suppose the digital world because the UK are finally I suppose woken up to the idea of, of becoming you know, more competitive in terms of understanding that, you know, these sort of solutions can benefit their, their business. So do you just want to outline briefly what machine control is, you know, and what, what it does? Yeah, absolutely. So in theory, if you use, I suppose, the analogy of a, the old style TomTom systems, and if you remember them from the, the, the 90s, the big uh, things that sat on the window screen in your car, cost about two. 250, 300 pound. I remember my dad moaning about them at the time. But look, they got to where where, where you needed to get to uh, quicker than I suppose an A to Z would. And machine control is exactly that. It's putting the visual aid in in the cab of an operator at any point during the day. Um, so that basically means they can they've got their uh, controls in front of them. They understand where they're going. They understand where they don't need to go. So there's I suppose a health and safety feature behind it as well because they can uh, keep away from avoidance zones. So what does that allow them to do? It allows them to work smarter and virtually all day. So it's it's less people around um, the machines, whether that's an excavator, a dozer, a grader, a compactor, a skid steer. 
Um, you know, it really, it really has become more than just what it was uh, essentially born to be, which is a, a leveling system for a dozer. And, and that's really shifted on probably since the mid 80s to where we are today, where we've got the lightest bit of kit coming off the lines from finning with the sensors and that already built in. So that shows you, I suppose, the journey and the adoption rate because you know, it, it, it's the, the demand is so much, is so much there is that you've got the OEMs now integrating into the machines as part of the build. Okay, so can you maybe we'll just we'll just draw into that machine control element a little bit more then, and maybe you could maybe outline, you know, what is the difference, the key difference between like two D machine control and three D machine control, and you know, and maybe describe a scenario where you might use two D machine control as opposed to that, and then maybe a scenario where you would use three D machine control. Yeah, so a 2D system is basically something that you would use for height and slope. So where would that be perfect if you were wanted to grade off a sports pitch with a dozer? So you had a, a laser on a tripod at a certain level, then you'd hit the drive button on your auto switch and that would drive the laser mass into position and then the dozer can push forward at a, a consistent grade. So that give you a completely graded pitch, a consistent accuracy for the blade. If you were to look at it for, I suppose, drainage, then again, a 2D system would be perfect because if you're excavating, and again, you've got a consistent line of sight, again, off a laser level, you could use a laser catcher on the dipper arm of an excavator so it would constantly tell you if you're if you're high or low or if you're on grade. And um, does, it, does, does that help you then, like, even like you know, in terms of underground services, does, does it kind of help you, you, know, you, you know, can you... Can you set it to like a, a level so you're you're help you see for digging and things like that, or is yeah. it? Yeah, definitely. So if if you know you've got survey data that is, that that's in the ground um, and you want to use it as an avoidance or exclusion zone, you could build that into a three D model. So not only would you have your DTM on the GPS system, you could have underlined avoidance zones or measured services, so you would know not to go down to that to dig down to that level. Okay. Um, and we're getting called, we're getting called for that quite often now. So. Yeah, I, I'd imagine. Yes. So, so, and then maybe you know, in, in terms of like three D machine control and all the kind of all singing, all dancing, is that kind of where, where would you normally see that? Is it on big roads jobs, and is it is it just for big roads jobs, or can you use it for other kind of applications as well? Traditionally, yes. I think from about two thousand and seven, two thousand, two thousand eight, the biggest job that I saw it on was just the expansion of the M25, which is the, the widening process undertaken by McArdles. It was a huge job. If you think back to the, the time when the entire, well, it was good, there was a global downturn, wasn't there? So to win any job at that time was, was, was great. And that was then followed by the A1M. And then it then kind of like continued on from there. So we started to see um, the, the large infrastructure projects adopting the technology because um, not only did you have the instrumentation with the engineers buying into machine control, you'd also have the technology on the machine. So that allowed them to understand what was happening at all times during during the you know the construction process. So yeah, and then followed by the AWPR, the A14, and some some significant uh, large projects, HS2 that we're we're currently um, working very strong on as well. What what was you and you know in your experience and, and within Flannery's then what was the uptake of machine control been like within you know their plant fleet you know both for two D and three D can you give us a a wee um, kind of a, a, a outline what what the, the uptake is for that and is it someone commonly asked for by those hiring it yeah definitely so I think it, it would have been about two thousand and twelve I think first knocked the door at Flannery's asking do you, do you want to uh, get involved in machine control this that and the other. I think that the answers at the time was, oh, let's try it and this, that, and the other. The uh, request wasn't really there, but we knew that, you know, Flannery's um, were a massive uh, player in the market. And I was working for a dealership then. Um, and it was really about trying to encourage the markets to adopt the technology. So trolls become hires, and then we were working with Flannery's customers, you know, tier ones across major projects throughout the UK. And then trolls uh, quickly then become hires and really, I suppose, sowing the seed. And that, that wasn't just me, that was a whole host of other 
dealers trying to you know encourage the markets to adopt the technology and whether that be from Leica, Trimble, Topcom, you know, and, and that was pretty much it. But to see it today, I think, you know, Flannery's become in such a position that a lot of their uh, core fleet need this technology. So I suppose the only answer was to, was to bring it in-house so they've got better control, they could standardise on it better, um, they could deal direct with customers. We, we do so much more today than I suppose we, we ever could do because we've got not only the products of the people um, we, and the, I suppose the telematics side to, to really, you know, hammer home you know, A1 service and that's really what it's about. It's about delivering the, the machines, the, the people and the technology in, in, in one hit. And Chris, if I could just bookend uh, what Paul's been saying there, he's, he's quite modest. You know, we as Flannery, we thought ourselves pioneers in terms of bringing in technology into the business. But with, with regards to machine control, the expertise that Paul and his team have delivered to Flannery has, has helped that side of the business flourish. It's almost from not a standing start, so to speak, but certainly bringing it in-house has given us far more control, as Paul's already said. Um, but the ability to consult with our clients, to understand their problems and suggest solutions is, is oh, it's a buzzword, isn't it? But it's a game changer. It's really changed the proposition for what Flannery can do. And credit to Paul and the guys, you know, it, it, from a burgeoning business of next to nothing to a multi, multi-million pound um, sort of setup, that's really, really important. And it takes the Flannery machine, the Flannery operator to the next level. Do you see it? You know, in terms of the customer, do they know what they're looking for when they're, when they're asking for machine control? Yeah. Or, you I'm going to let Paul answer that you one. answer that, Paul. Have a- um, just to, I suppose, to reiterate what I've said, I think the, the, the uptakes there now. So I think it, the, the technology has been adopted. I think there's still questions about if they ordered the right kit and that. So we will still have that consultation with them, as Chris has said, to make sure that they're getting the right products. And also to you know, upsell the, the products that they don't know about, the telematics side. And we've done so much more that, that we were, wasn't expecting to do so quickly because we've got the machines. We've been able to, to transition a lot quicker. Um, so when we're talking to customers, we, 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 you know, we've got not only just machine control products, we've got total stations, you know, some huge infrastructure, off-machine solutions, telematics, GPS, GPS rovers, and all these coincide to make the digital uh, job side more efficient. I think well, my answer, Chris, is exactly as has been insinuated, is that we've got pockets of excellence, but they might only use a small percentage of the capability. And I think yeah. that alone has uh, really improved life on site, made it more effective, more efficient, potentially less plant and therefore less risk with regards to people plant interface. But there's a long way to go in terms of adoption. It's sometimes quite frustrating where you might have recently completed a site which has been successful and yet you move on to a new site, potentially with a different <laughs> product team, and they are slow to adopt. So it's almost like we have to go back to the beginning and reprove the same case study. But that's the yes. problem with something new. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so Chris, well, well maybe now just we are kind of moving into this, uh, this, this realm now is like, let's move on to the telematics side of things then. You, know, you want to give us a wee overview of what we mean by telematics? Yeah, what it is and what does it do? Yeah, that's a good question. I think telematics can mean all, all things to all different people. In essence, the machines these days are smart, but that's not new in itself. Uh, machines have been able to record data for years, 10, 15 years. The amount of data and the frequency that they can record that data is what's improved over the course of time. We're in a situation now where any individual machine can record anywhere between 150 and 450 parameters. Now, those parameters might not affect productivity on site, but there's still a data stream. So my definition of telematics is, from a, and this is a Flannery perspective, is something that can group some useful data together and present it in a uniform format. So whether you've got a Hitachi or a JCB or a Caterpillar machine, it's recording something of use and it's presenting that information in the same format at the same time. Now, the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing that is I've got a bit of bias. You know, I'm a higher company and I buy machines from different companies. So the fact that one machine might record 450 parameters is irrelevant to me if the other machine that's working next to it records things either in a different way or less or more frequently. So having that standardization um, is critical. So 
your question is, you know, what does telematics mean to us? Telematics is presenting that window of a construction site to whoever's using it. It might be me, the hire company, but more likely it's going to be the tier one contractor, the tier two contractor, so that they can have a bit of an idea of what their machines are doing. All right, then. So what is the connection then between machine control and telematics? And do you need to implement both? Yes, is a, a quick answer, but I'm going to give I'm going to give you some reasoning for, for that. And I think Chris answered that brilliantly. And I think yeah, the telematic side, yeah, machine productivity, fleet utilization, and fuel burner, all them sorts of add-ons, absolutely brilliant. And I think from a cap perspective, they use VisionLink, which was subsequently then adopted by Trimble. That's where you've got the um, CTCT business that supports Caterpillar and the Trimble technologies uh, working together to generate and develop um, the telematics for machine control. So that, that basically means that not only can we see where the machine is, we can now get real data to the machine remotely, whether that's a DTM um, or an updated file for an alignment work. So basically we're coming away from the use of USB sticks. And and, and again, this was this was just a dream and in, in 2014, something like that. And then to for, for eventually it actually came to so when we started this business, we knew that the telematic side was Perfect. It worked. We needed sims. We knew how to how, how to use them. So that allowed us to, um, I suppose, have a, a measured approach. So that basically meant how many people do we need to employ to make this business successful? And it, it allows us to make the right choices. It allows us to put machines on hire wherever in the country, knowing and being confident to be able to tell customers that we can support you regardless whether that's Saturday, Sunday, after six o'clock or whatever, you, you need our support. We've got engineers that can remote and get you working should you have a problem. So the support side and the service is absolutely uh, brilliant. It works for us as a business, especially a plant hire company, you know, because our, our, our battles, uh, our customer sites could be anywhere. Um, so it, it, it just allows us to be able to offer that service knowing that it works. The other side of it is that we can open the ports up um, and so customers can use the machines to upload their own data. Um, so that allows them to more, be more productive and efficient on the site. And I absolutely love that. I mean, we're in a position where we've got machines in our yards, whether it be Aberdeen to, to Wembley, Birmingham, Newport, um, with customer data loaded into the machine before they've uh, even been loaded here. So when they go to site, they can, they can work straight away. There's less time, less setup time. Um, so, you know, it, it's just better for them that they've got a machine, an operator, and a job site that can almost, you know, start in minutes of the, of the low loader dropping the, the machine off. I was just going to add one little bit, you know, yeah. and this is my perspective, which is, is potentially less technical than Paul's, but telematics, which is my bias, is a very retrospective view. You know, you can get it as near as real time as possible, but in effect, you're looking at something that's happened in the past. Whereas what Paul is focused on, and rightly so, is the machine control element. That's the future. So that's the design that we want you to do. Now, the beauty of telematics is you can see whether that design was correct. You can record, you've got, you can evidence it. You can see whether or not there are efficiencies to gain from doing it in a slightly different way. But ultimately, telematics is that retrospective kind of rear view mirror view if you want so you can then dovetail back change your training change your behaviors the machine control bit future future thinking but the two together is such a powerful um sort of offer i yeah. see i see so it's so it's basically putting your your, your digital terrain modeling and getting all this stuff the, the, the information you build a job and the telematics reflects it back gives you the data that you're that you set up to, to come back and actually see if it's been either been done correctly or get other kind of various outputs that you set so is that is that Fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you know, with customers like that they can they can record data with the machines as well because essentially that's what they are. They're just yeah. big GPS rovers or big GPS turtle stations. Um, so uh, getting the data from the machines as built real information, absolutely wonderful. And we had a, um, a request this morning where there was a new 
ecological side on, uh, on a job and that the geofence data was sent into um, one of our engineers here and he was able to create that design and send it to the machine directly and there it populated so to yeah. mean, things like that are just you know i suppose it was never destined to be uh used as a health and safety or an avoidance sort of tool but it's like with any technology uh, machine control has that ability to really develop and, and health and safety and avoidance zones and them sort of add-on apps as such uh, are, are really being called for right there now. So, so that's that's a really good uh, um, example of data data and, and solving a problem there, Paul. So what about the, the, the data out then? Uh, and either of you can answer this. Um, what information then can, can telematics system produce? I suppose maybe you might look at it from your own point of view, but also maybe more from the, the customer perspective. What what can inform- what useful information could, could could they get out of it? There's a language, uh, Chris, which you may or may not be aware of, which is the, the standard. It's, it's basically a set of rules in terms of what information we can expect from machines. Now, most machines bought and sold in the last sort of four or five years will be to a standard of AEMP 2.0. Now, you don't need to remember that, but it's effectively the latest version. In essence, that gives you about five or six useful areas of information, which will include your location, which is kind of useful if you want to know where your machine is. More importantly, your engine on time, your working time, the difference between the two is idle, which is something that a lot of tier ones are really, really focused on. Your fuel burn from which you can create a calculation for your CO2, which again, if I met you when we had our ESG hats on, so recording your carbon is critical to, um, to most sites now. So whilst the rule allows lots more standard information. Those five or six parameters are the ones that I think if you were just starting out on this journey, you really focus on. If I was to say one line of data that my clients really pay attention to, it's looking at idle time. And that's some quite scary reading when you begin to peel back the layers and think, okay, I've got quite a big expensive machine there on site, which I'm paying for, and it's idling for 30, 40, 50% of its working day. That allows you some quantifiable information that means you can go back to what's going on on site, make some changes and hopefully make that a more effective machine or change the machine if it's inappropriate for the site you've got. As for machine control, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I think um, from our perspective, customers are able to ask operators to use the machines to measure points on the ground. And because they're already live, they're on their job site and they're working whether that's to, to the OS coordinate system or a local coordinate system, there's still relative points which can be basically mapped. So once the, the data is mapped, it stores within the machine control system and then it can be downloaded remotely at any point. Um, we've also got the options where we give access pools to our customers. So they've got control of the machines, they can see their, their digital job site, they can see the, the, the hired-in machine system on, on the site, they can send data to it, they can download data from it as well. Um, and it's perfect for them. It really is a game changer in terms of um, what, what we're doing, I suppose, which is different from, from the rest. Brilliant. So. I was thinking more then, um, next time, was, you, you kind of outlined a little bit that you, you do a lot of supporting your customers with implement, implementation of, of this technology, the machine control and the telematics. So maybe, maybe outline what problems do you solve for them, you know, your customers, and what pain do you take away? And maybe just give us a few examples. Okay, yeah, so early May last year when we first started, I suppose, set everything up here, um, we quickly learned that if you, if you take like a large project as HS2, for example, that maybe not everyone's okay with, with machine control or the, the products on site. So there's definitely a learning curve that we are you know, an area of where in which I, I suppose engineers, um, customers weren't really that okay with the kit. Um, so if anything, they were almost having bad experiences with it. So we really had to dive into the detail as to why that was. And we quickly identified that there was training issues in terms of getting the right data in the right format. So we were able to set up our engineers so they had the capabilities in terms of using and offering the services of CAD. So we were transferring models and getting them in the right format. That then led us down to the route, sending them directly to the machine. We then opened up and we were able to bring in engineers here and so we could train them in the skills hub. Um, 
I suppose that's just a couple of examples, but basically we quickly learned that you know, whatever the issues were, we were able to tackle, and a lot of them were really down to modelling, and we see that not just on HS2, but on sites across the UK. So we encourage from a, an early onset to, to have conversations with engineers, regardless of where the jobs are, where we can take data in, we can put it in the right format, we can get it onto the machine, we can send it directly there, and you know we still have, you know, have conversations after the delivery of plant to make sure they're okay. Do you need an access portal? Do you know how the telematics work? And you know, identifying you know, are they using the right tools? Um, we've had conversations in terms of UTS and what's the difference between GPS and do you know what I mean? So we're we're able to develop and really you know have conversations, but then to understand are they using the right products? And and if not, you know, we we can get them going with the right product. So what do you mean by UTS, Paul? What does that mean? Okay, so. We also offer total stations to work with, um, I, I call them UTS, or basically it's a universal total station system. So essentially it's still a 3D positioning system. And we see a lot of these on our, gr our graders, our skid steers, and also on our dozers. So if a machine control request is in a, an area where perhaps it might be close to a building where GPS doesn't become an option, where right. it could be working at a heavily vegetated area with trees and again like with any gps device becomes restricted due to uh, sky coverage basically you can still use machine control but you switch to a prism system oh, yeah. or triples painted products which is where uts i suppose um came from but what we'll do is we offer the total station we'll show them how to set up total stations and sure. get them work in the in the same respects as they would do whether and get the same uh, results with, you know, as would expect with GPS. But so with UTS, it is a better system in terms of accuracy. You've got more setup, but it's um, it's more it's more accurate because essentially you're using a total station to guide the blade. Okay, that's 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 good. Good to um, differentiate between like the kind of GPS system. Good, and and I take it the earlier the intervention, the better. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> it's, we, we, we can, I think we, we, we have a, a bit of a joke in the office, or, well, you know, I'll put that bonfire out, or, but, you know what I mean, we can stop a lot of things getting to a stage where the, 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 where the non-repairable, do you know what I mean? So we, we quickly identify, we call them red flags, and we're able to help and support from, from the, an early onset. So what the customer is getting or what they're expecting is, is right. And really, that's that's what it's about. You know what I mean? Offering that service um, and being able to back it up, um, and that's one of the great things about, I suppose, being a, a, a working in a large organisation that, that's got uh, uh, machines. Because before that, we were always we were always late to the party. Yeah. Things had already happened. Whereas now, we we you know it's certainly opened my eyes, and. Uh, to, to do things different and yeah it, it never stops it's a great place to be <laughs> and, and, and Chris have you got any 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 examples um, the, the challenge is bringing people along the the, the journey of understanding what their data is even telling them um, Paul's point earlier on is exactly the same in terms of format it's like my phone sending a file to your phone if I've got an Apple and you've got a Samsung you know so getting getting that format correct and, and making sure that um, what I'm sending you, you can you can receive is is critical. I think increasingly, what I'm seeing is rather than using dashboards, which people are a little bit blasé about or, or even frustrated with because they've got access to so many sort of points of data, is feeding that into a, a uniform system. So if you're a tier one contractor and and heaven forbid they're hiring from other companies other than just Flannery, is does my data look the same as theirs? Um, so that it's in a consumable format. And the answer is it, that's totally possible. So working with a client. To understand what they are using it for, what they need to see, so that we can kind of send them what they need rather than bombarding them with lines and lines of information. So there's numerous examples of that. It's 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 probably 
the way the industry is going. So we as suppliers need to be au fait with what customers are asking and prepared to manipulate it so that it's it's almost a bespoke solution. So I think that's probably the key challenge. The next part is training. You know, it's one thing having access to all these lines of data that's populating a database somewhere, but what do they do with it? What, what are they looking out for? So actually sitting down with the appropriate members of staff and, and teaching them what impact they can have if they see a column that says 500 hours of idle. You know, what does that even mean? So, um, yeah, those are the key aspects from, from a telematics perspective. So, so presumably, we're, we're, come, we're starting to come a long way from uh, a foreman phoning up and saying, I need a, a 20 tonner here tomorrow, and yeah. I need it now. You know, uh, so it's, uh, it must be having an impact on better planning as well, because you really have to think about all of these things. Well, just from a telematics perspective, um, you'd really hope that people are now being held accountable for the plant that they've got on site. So that is dictating, you know, rather than, you know, and I'm stereotyping hugely here, but if you're setting up a site rather than ordering all your plant on day one, just so you've got it, um, you're a little bit more proactive in terms of, right, well, I need the telehandler to unload the truck that's bringing the initial supplies, but I don't need the diggers and the dumpers for a little while longer. I've massively oversimplified that, but actually focusing on well, what's my fleet utilization and potentially, you know, maybe you're six months into a job and you've got several machines that are hugely underutilized. Well, are there any ways we can either phase the works or can we off hire certain things and, and use the same kit for multiple tasks? That becomes a conversation, a proactive conversation rather than, you know, you, you get six months or, or a year into the job and you realize that you've overspent by a hundred grand. Um, you know, that, that's the kind of conversation that we've got. And the other thing I should point out is particularly with carbon reporting, you've just completely simplified the, the mandatory reports that have got to go in now in terms of how much fuel have I burnt? Where did I burn it? What's my CO2 off the back of that? And a nice little benefit of that is you begin to trend your fuel burn. So if you're doing a certain task and you've estimated that it's going to take you a thousand liters, 5,000 liters, but suddenly you realize you're burning 10 or 15 or 20,000 liters, you can have a proactive conversation about is all that fuel going in the machines? Have we got a challenge on site with security? Are there any other conversations that we should be having? Um, and we've got loads of evidence, Paul, haven't we, of, um, of fuel thefts being identified sort of near to the event, which has meant that security measures can be taken to, to actually save that in the future. And with the price of, well, with the levy on red diesel disappearing, you know, fuel's doubled overnight. It's a much more valuable um, commodity. Wow. No, it's fantastic. So um, you, you touched a wee bit about it there, Chris, and I think you mentioned your training academy as well, Paul, but... Do you want to maybe give us a, a wee bit of an overview you know, of the training and the upskilling involved and, you know, right from the operators, not just but not just the operators, but right through the kind of the more the engineering staff, the, the information managers and, and, you know, most importantly, maybe commercial staff and the people. How, how do they get the most out of this system? How do you, how do, you do that? From a flannery perspective, you know, the, the business has grown organically, like I've already said, um, but there becomes a bit of a bottleneck when you start talking about resource. Ultimately, the Flannery business identified that we're only as good as the next generation of operators that we're able to train, not to mention the existing operators that we've got, that if we're going to put them on machines, utilizing machine control, they need to know how to use it. Otherwise, all of this is for nothing. So the, the original investment decision was taken a couple of years ago to develop the operator skills hub, which gives us that fixed base in the central heart of the um, country where we can broad, base that training um, and, and broaden our, our remit. So from a telematics perspective, we're able to not only bring operators in and run them through what we define as an eco-operator training course, which is a course designed to train operators in the best use of their plant, but we're then able to use uh, digital systems, the, the simulators, which I think, Chris, you've been on at some point, um, to, to show them certain tasks and the impact that their behaviors and their actions has. We can record all of that. We can rank it. We can then send them out into um, a ring-fenced area so they can demonstrate on a real machine because, you know, simulators are one thing, but it's totally different when you're at a real machine. We can finish that training off with a, with a pack to say, this is the improvement you've made, send them out to their job site anywhere in the country on a Flannery machine, send them to work for three months, see if they've genuinely learned those skills, whether they're embedded, and bring them back into the operator skills hub to redo it. Because you know what? The training might need tweaking. They might have learned something. They might have some pushback in terms of some of the techniques. So that, that telematics window means that we don't just stop monitoring them when they're in the training hub. We can monitor them indefinitely 
um, and help reinvent that sort of that training program. So it must help you identify the, you know, the, the proactively manage your operator's performance and actually pinpoint maybe where they need specific help or things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Um, and, and, you know, some, some operators might see it as um, almost intrusive, you know, it's, it's like having a camera on your computer as we've got right now. Yeah. But the point being a lot of these operators are very proud of what they do. You know, they've been doing it for a long time and they want to almost demonstrate, they want their name in lights going, look, look, actually, you know, I've, this is how much muck I've moved. This is how much fuel I've burnt. And I'm in the best 10, 15, 20% in the country. And the reality is what it does is it, it, it pushes the good operators to really rise, rise to the top and it drags the other guys with them, which is excellent because I think on the whole, you end up with a better operator, more effective out on site. And Paul, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, and Chris is you know, absolutely on the money. And I think I'll just pick up on what he said in terms of the operators are proud and that. And they are. I mean, you see it on social media, the picture of their, their cab, the screen, yeah. how clean it is, and this, that, and the other. But you know, the, 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 there used to be this stigma that machine control was a dark art. And you know, getting operators um, to take the technology at, at some point in the past was very difficult. And with the development of the technology, um, for example, an iPhone, and people are getting used to using phones, and and even you know, if you look at the, the, the GPS screens today or the machine control screens, they're very similar. So it just allows operators to uh, to take to using machine control and you know, a lot quicker than it once was. It's just part of their, their toolkit now, and it has become mainstream. And, that's, in terms of the skills up, it really has allowed us to uh, you know, give that cutting edge training because you, well, there we have you know, a real life scenario, uh, whether it's a V-ditch or, or they're going to be on a batter you know, the, the following day. You know, we can put them on live machines. We can use the, the simulators. We've got internal trainers as well that we've upskilled with our, our own machine control team, which gives us an excess of 20 strong field-based uh, people with uh, experience in machine control to support the jobs, the operators, and the engineers. So, um, I mean, for me, being a, being a construction manager in the past, with the eyes and the ears of the operator were, machine operators are the key, for me, were the key the key people on, on your business. So uh, if you're equipping them even more stuff, it's even, it, must, it must be even better. But um, maybe just to move on a little bit from the operators now, can you maybe just, just, can we just go just briefly about about maybe the engineering and maybe the the kind of the, the 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 kind of commercial team and how does how does that all fit into the picture as well? You know what 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 do they need? Um, what and what training do they need? What do they need to be aware of? Definitely. So I think in terms of the use of you know, the technology, um, most engineers are out there today using some sort of um, measuring device or setting out a tool, whether that be a laser level. Most cases, I would suspect GPS or a total station. Um, we are at the age of drone technology now, and I believe there's a dog running around HS2 with a Trimble badge on it, measuring data and giving it asphalt information. So, do you know what I mean? That's just an example of, you know, of what, I suppose a glimpse of what the future's to, 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 to bring. And, you know, we've got to be ready for that. And, and that's part of, you know, I suppose the digital team inside of um, Flannery. In, in terms of taking taking them products and then being able to bed them in and you know, deliver them to our customers because it's going to come and you know it's not going to stop. So in terms of the technology itself, we've just got to you know keep developing it and keep keep it going. So engineers seem to be more like you know the, the engineer the role of engineers evolving. From you know when I was a, when I was an engineer, you know it was like a sketch and get them to sign a, a sign a sketch and you know and, and you'd go and explain things, but oh you're you're pushing out all this data out from an office, not even maybe anywhere near the site now, and communicating, you know. Yeah, so we can take so we'll again we'll have you know, early conversations with engineers. You know we 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 may be given a job or a two D PDF. Um, piece of information that has no real 3D information on it, and we've got internal engineers that can produce that 3D information if if, if they need it for a particular job. And um, we've had circumstances where a, a job may have been localised before the contractor has got there. Therefore, they have to work to that um, localisation only, and perhaps they don't not know how to produce that that local grid. And again, we have the team here. Flannery's uh, internally with that software and expertise to be able to produce 
that control file or that uh, digital terrain model, and, and and we can offer that service to allow them to, to work. Yeah, sure. It really, really, really comes to that. You know, if that vital information can, can basically stop them from being able to use the tools. And so, yeah, we highlighted that and we, we offer that as part of, uh, of the package. Brilliant. And then, and what about the, the commercial side of it then, Chris? What 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 how what what kind of numbers or how do, you know what kind of training or is there any sort of training around that in terms of letting the commercial people see the numbers and and you know how how do you make them aware of that so they're making that better decision making? There's still a disconnect between commercial and what I'm going to label the new new generation of engineers. Um, I totally agree with Paul in that engineers now are getting trained in this language and it is a language. They come out of yeah wherever they've received their, their training, their education from, and, and they know how to do this. Commercial individuals might be one step behind in terms of they've heard of machine control. It's another line item on a, on a menu that they can choose to pay from. And it's very expensive. You know, they've got an they've item of plant and they've got an operator and they know that's expensive and they know fuel's getting more expensive. And then they see this machine control, which might be as much as 50% or more of the cost of the machine in the first place. So that's a tough sell. They, they need to be brought around in terms of understanding what impact it's going to have. But there are case studies. There's there loads of good working examples in terms of the efficiency that one machine can have with machine control versus one that isn't. Then you've got the soft stuff, which is harder to quantify, which is the reduction of the total number of individuals required to work around that machine. So you've got the people plant interface um, benefits, which hopefully we should never quantify because by reducing the risk, it's not there to be counted. But that's critical. You know, you, you remember, Chris, the days of when you were on site, you know, measuring out people um, in, in pits with stakes and, and doing all sorts of manual measurements. We, we're doing away with all of those people. Um, they are then deployed in other roles. So the risk is massive or the reduction in risk is massive. When it comes to telematics, it's a, it's a whole other conversation because one of the things that I advocate is the um, invention of the digital plant manager, which is somebody who's competent, who's responsible and is trusted to make decisions whilst looking through data. Now, that person is not going to work in isolation. They're still going to work with site teams. But in effect, you're receiving all of this information and you're making decisions. My worry is that that job role could be misconstrued and it could be some sort of junior position and their, their voice is not heard, you know, because you've got somebody who's been there and done it and still wants to have all their plant in on site on day one. You need yeah. somebody who's brave enough and have enough, has enough gravitas to actually say, oh, hold on, you know, yeah. we don't need to do that. Or we've got three telehandlers and they're all 20% utilized. Can we do the job with one, you know, and use data to back that up? So your question was straightforward. Is, is there a link with the commercial guys? Yes, definitely. But there's a tenuous kind of what are those benefits and how do we get those communicated? All right, then. So so maybe that just maybe comes on to the, maybe the, the barriers and challenges that you have. You know, what barriers and challenges have you typically faced, you know, when you're looking either to make a business case or implement this technology with a client, you know, and how have you managed to overcome any, any resistance? <laughs> So I think um, you know, we're currently on the scheme at the minute. I think we, we must have 200 pieces of plant on this on this particular job. And there was conversations uh, earlier this year about machine control, and it was as simple as what is it? Do we need it? And what are the benefits? And we were able to bring the commercial team down to the skills of we had conversations, you know, straight open questions, and they needed to understand really from a cost perspective what were the benefits um and that was a day that was a day going through the the skills hub we were able to look at really what they were trying to do what they're trying to achieve where was the job um, and we highlight the potential issues in terms of do they need a base station do you need a sim card what's a sim card system what's the cost of that and you know we were and then from there we then had um meetings layered out with the engineering team and then we were able to develop it. And what became, uh, I think it was like a, a two-week trial, it's now in excess of 30 uh, GPS systems all working in unison on, on this particular project because they've become that reliant upon it. And, you know, if you look at the switch, this is something they knew nothing of. In, 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 and today, it, it's just it's incredible to see that because they're, they're, they're getting so much from it in terms of, Again, not only health and safety perspective, um, productivity, efficiency, material. Chris was talking about fuel burn earlier. 
you know, all these sort of things really do, you know, you know, hit you on the bottom line. So it just makes them more efficient. Fantastic. So, so again, that was that early intervention and saying, right, come down and, and have a look. And, and you know, it, it really must, it, it's, it's time well spent really looking into this at the start and getting you guys involved from, from an early stage. I think yeah. that's the key. You know, we've got, we, we have the benefit of running a large fleet, Chris. So, you know, we're, we're looking at um, nearly 5,000 prime movers, uh, best part of 4,800 of which are connected through to that AMP 2.0 standard that I mentioned. And an increasing proportion of those machines are connected to a far better standard, uh, depending on the client and, and what their requirements are. But what I'm trying to get at is we've got a fantastic set of data that goes back best part of two and a half, three years now. So we yeah. really do know what good looks like. So yeah. when a site manager turns around to say, yeah, but no, this site's doing really well. You know, we're, we're ahead of schedule, we're ahead of target. And we look at, you know, whether it be 40% asset utilization, 45, 50, 55%, we can say, well, actually, we've got a few exemplar sites where we've really honed in on some of this. And we can say that, you know, on a heavier muck shift job, we've achieved 80, 85, 90% asset utilization, you know, with minimal idle time. Idle time's in the, in the you know, 10 to 15 to 20%, which, you know, that's okay. That's, 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 a, that's a perfectly reasonable number, you know, which means we're sweating the assets. We're working them hard. We know where our material's gone. We know how fast we've traveled. Um, in other words, we know our safety parameters of the site. Um, we know our cycle times, we know our cost per ton. We know that on those days, on those proactive sites, we off-hired machines that weren't needed. We've put bigger machines on where we thought the, the whole road could take it and we've downrated machines where the whole road can't take it. And we know that our cost per ton is industry leading. And yet another site manager who doesn't do those things says, no, no, this site's going fine. Well, we, we can quite quickly say, well, you're spending hundreds of thousands of pounds extra. So think how much more fine you could be with a bit of a proactive move. Yeah. And and, and presumably then when clients start to switch on to this, I know, I know some clients you work with probably are already switched on to this, but, you know, just to just check more broadly, you know, they, you know, if you're looking to maybe, you know, get, get paid at the end of the day and you need to demonstrate that you're 85, 95, 90%, you know, you're, you're going to be more likely to get, paid easier quicker and, and you know and, and, and demonstrate and evidence a lot of you know justifying your cost if, if you like so that, that that must be um an incredible you know that that's going to be obviously coming down the line as well I imagine yeah absolutely i mean i'm not going to get contractual but we're a higher company so yeah. as opposed to a contractor we don't instruct our machines on how to work but we can certainly give pointers we can certainly give information so that these clients can make those decisions and you're right you know, you, you started at the top of this uh, conversation around Flannery and its 50-year um, celebrations, which is fantastic. But in order for us to do another one of these in 50 years' time, we need to prove to our customers that we're a value partner. And using these technologies is the only way we're going to do it. What have the key lessons been for, for Flannery on the digitalization journey so far, would you say? Lessons learned. Yeah. Um, not to overpromise, I think yeah, definitely a measured, a measured approach. Um, but you know, for me, it, it's been drilled into me from a, a very early age. And you know, I mean, you're only as good as your last hire. And it really, we are a customer-facing business, and you know, we have to learn from our mistakes. And definitely overpromising, you know, in the past. Um, I think Flannery's perhaps became in a position where they were reliant on third-party rental companies supplying into them. And essentially, it's Flannery equipment on site. So if something, uh, if there was a problem, it was always Flannery's that, that felt the brunt of it. And, you know, just to you know, you know, clarify, you know, I suppose what Chris was saying earlier, that, you know, you know bringing their own digital machine control business in-house allowed them to be completely in control. And, we now they're in a position whether it's a machine uh, issue or a machine control issue we can offer the same service and yeah we can get customers up and going quicker and and i think you know that's a big lesson learned and and for me personally things i've learned from previous businesses is that being able to adopt you know the latest technology to get customers going and and being back up and running quicker because once you go completely machine control on a site, you are uh, working in a stag-free environment. So if the machine goes down, you lose 
guidance for what's going on. So therefore, you need a, an invested partner who you can rely on, a supplier like Flannery's to get you up and going quicker. And I think the final point for me and, and lessons learned is that, and hopefully you've seen some of the passion between from Paul and I, um, but we can't assume that our customers are experts or indeed want to be experts. So keeping solutions simple and taking them along step by step rather than rushing someone to the end game, even though we think that's probably where they should be, you know, they, they need to own it and believe it and embed it within their own business. So we can't rush them to that point. Yeah. Final question, guys. What would... What would be your this this podcast kind of is aiming to just try, kind of raise awareness of, of kind of technology and digitalization, but more particularly for the, the construction SMEs who, who probably don't have a digi- any digital capability and they they just want to find out a little bit more. So, what would your advice to them be, you know, and the construction SMEs, you know, plant hire companies and, and their clients if they're looking to invest in machine control uh, and telematics, you know, what is the next step they should think about? I think hopefully, and and probably if they're listening to this podcast, they do have a degree of interest, but but the first obvious point is don't bury your heads in the sand. You know, Flannery to start with, as Paul has eloquently said, we outsourced this problem and tried to get um, third-party providers to come and do it for us. Um, That that wasn't a solution for a company like Flannery, and I don't believe it's necessarily a solution for for industry. We need to grapple with this, just like you would if you were going to go and buy a digger, you'd go and learn about the digger that you were going to buy. The reality is for that digger to dig in the future, it's going to need to have an element of connected um, site about it. So it's going to need machine control. It's going to have telematics and your clients, whether you are the client or otherwise, is going to want to that, have that information. So take the time to invest your resources in learning and, um, and, and furthering your business's capability in that field. Paul, any, any final word? I think advice, I think, can, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of technology and don't be afraid to, to fail because, you know, I think, you know, for smaller SMEs, they have to get involved with whether it's now or in the future. I think they need to prepare that, you know, the, the digital journey is here and, and my advice is, is get, on, get, on, get on the roller coaster sooner rather than later because getting involved with it, you, you're just going to enhance your business. You're going to become part a part of obviously the digital world but you know you're going to upskill and you're going to be able to better your business because you're going to have that technology in your locker to be able to offer that service to uh, an industry that that wants it paul and chris thanks so much for your time today i really appreciate that conversation and that was some great insights um from well, I would say a UK leading company, um, all about machine control and telematics. I will stick the links to your your website and how to get in touch with you guys uh, as as part of the the program page. Okay, so thanks again for your time today. Really appreciate that. Thank you very much, Chris. All right. Thanks, guys.